Welcome back to the Modern Cop Podcast. I hope everybody's having a good week so far. Got a midweek recording here with uh, Josh from Force Options. He's back east. He's kind enough to uh, to stay up late and whisper sweet nothings into my ear as we uh, we talk about uh, uh, his work, his life in law enforcement, and uh, and his company Force Options. Josh, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? Doing pretty good. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and reaching out to uh, to come on the show. More than happy to to have you talk about your experiences. You're uh, you're a full time police officer. You're a SWAT operator. You're a DT instructor. You're a business owner. Uh, what is it that you don't do? Uh, I would imagine you you probably let me wait. Hold on. Let me guess. You don't do uh, bikini fitness model competitions. That and sleep. That the and two sleep. <laughs> well, we can sleep when we're dead, uh, and uh, it's never too late to enter yourself into a bikini fitness model competition. Uh, the, mod- the Modern Cop <laughs> Podcast not. will sponsor you. Um, uh, I've got about $8.58 that I can uh, shoot your way. Hopefully that gets you, uh, uh, I don't know, the tanning oil or something, or something along those lines. I've done worse for a lot less. So Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I've been pepper sprayed. I've been tased. Uh, I've been beaten up uh, all for a paycheck. Good times. Um, real quick, before we get started, uh, just as I was uh, headed home, I learned uh, of uh, through Law Enforcement Today, which is a law enforcement-based news website, uh, I got to give a shout out to a, a girl named Megan who runs a company called Blue Line Bears and Blue Line Bears. Uh, uh, she started it. Uh, she basically takes a the uniform of a fallen officer and makes a teddy bear out of it uh, to give to their kids. And she is currently receiving death threats because that's the fucking society that we live in uh, because she is so supportive of law enforcement, which duh, her dad is a cop. Uh, so I have no affiliation with her. I just saw this on LET's website. Uh, if you're, uh, uh, listening to the, to this episode, find blue line bears. I found her on Instagram. Um, uh, I don't know if she's on, on other social media, but go ahead and, uh, and support Megan, show her some love. She had to take her wrap off of her, uh, off of her Jeep, uh, which is, you know, a, a lot of money goes into to wrapping a Jeep or to wrapping any car, I should say. And, um, the fact that she's getting death threats, uh, to include somebody saying something to the effect of, I hope that you have to make yourself a teddy bear next. Super fucked up. Um, and there's just nothing like starting a podcast really angry at this dark, dark world that we live in. So, uh, Josh, that's where I'm coming in from. And I have had no bourbon tonight. So, <laughs> but we'll get started, man. Start. Yeah, yeah. It's a good start. So, uh, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, Megan with Blue Line Bears is doing amazing things uh, to to bring some sort of of, of positivity and light to uh, uh, an otherwise extremely negative and sad uh, situation, and and indeed uh, uh, the world that we live in. So, uh, shout out to Megan. You're doing good things. Keep kicking ass. Josh, launching into it, man. Uh, I got to ask you the question that everybody gets asked. You can have a drink with anyone, living or dead. Who is it, and what are you drinking? Yeah, um, I thought about this one for quite a while. Um, I've been really fortunate in my life. I've had three incredible male mentors uh, throughout different phases of my life, one of whom, his name was Jeff Pedro. Little did I know when I started an internship in uh, college that he was kind of a, uh, a legend uh, in the, in our area, as far as cops go, he did it all founding member of the SWAT team. I now serve on the, uh, defensive tactics instructor, full-time Academy commander while he was working full-time on the streets. Um, he did, and that's just a, you know, the tip of the iceberg. Um, he taught me everything I knew about, uh, shooting. Uh, he put me through every single one of his classes. He opened up a business called Sim Trainer Academy and that's where I did my internship. So, um, unfortunately he passed away last year, uh, as unfortunately so many cops do, uh, five years after retirement. And, uh, if I could go back and have a drink with him, that would be incredible. We did a funny story. We, he took us, uh, all the staff members out to this very interesting restaurant. They actually brew all their own ale and mead, uh, no equipment at all. It's kind of like early 1900s style <laughs> drinks, no carbonation. I had a flight from them. It was absolutely disgusting. Not my (laughs) cup of tea. But if it meant that I could have another drink with him, I would drink one of those, one of those ales. 
You would you would brave the alehouse again with the uh, the butter churning station over in the corner. Uh, just to have one. More <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good, man. We all need those role models in life, and uh, and and unfortunately, so many of our role models are taken from us way too soon. And you hit the nail on the head, man. Within five years of retirement, I mean, you look at. I don't know how it is on the East Coast. I I thought it was across the board that we all had to do 25 years. But well, in Arizona, if you got hired after like 2014, you have to do 25 years. But um, the statistics that are out there on us and retirement, uh, you know, we retire at the, uh, you know, an average age of 50 to 52. And and yeah, we uh, we end up passing away about the age of 57, man. And that there is still a whole hell of a lot of life to live. Uh, you know, my, uh, my dad's in his mid sixties and he's made it very clear that he plans to make it another 40 years. And I'm good with that. Um, and I would, uh, uh, I would also like to, uh, to carry on through and, uh, uh, spin up my grandkids when I'm, uh, when I'm in my sixties and seventies. So, uh, uh, it's just, uh, it is, uh, it's an unfortunate statistic that I think, uh, we're just gonna have to keep working through and keep combating. So, uh, but hey, hey, to uh, to uh, the big guy upstairs there, I'm sure he's looking down on you, watching and super proud of, of what you've done and what you've become. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Uh, next question for you would be, uh, what books are you currently reading or listening to? Yeah, I'm always in the middle of a book. Now, as far as how quickly I get through them, that's a whole nother story. Currently, I am reading uh, Clint Emerson's The Rugged Life. Uh, more of a textbook style for uh, self-reliance. Uh, just a lot of really cool life skills uh, to be learned from that book. Um, I tend to, with this one, I've been kind of skipping to, to the chapters I want to I wanna read into it. Because again, it's really long textbook style. It's not an easy read. But if you're wanting to learn cool skills, it's a really interesting book. And I just found his uh, 100 Deadly Skills Combat Edition book hilarious. He's got like all the great dictators and terrorists, uh, in our, in our history, uh, just getting their butts kicked by, uh, <laughs> some badass individuals. So it's like cartoon style. It's very entertaining, but, um, yeah, the rugged life. That's what I'm reading right now. I like, I have yet to, to delve into any of Clint's books. They are highly recommended though. Uh, and, and you're just, uh, you're one more person to, uh, to recommend, uh, you know, reading his books, the hundred deadly, deadly skills one. I didn't know that, uh, that there were cartoons in there. That's much more my speed. So I'm going to have to have to jump into that and see some of these funny pictures that are in there. Oh, they're great. I had the chance. If, if anybody's listening and you're in Washington, DC, his book is for sale in the spy museum, if I remember correctly. So you can wander in there yes. into the gift shop and, uh, and pick it up. Uh, or I'm sure you can get it on Amazon or Clint's probably got a website, uh, where you can go to, to, uh, to pick that book up. So Josh, going back to, uh, let's take me on like a chronological journey through your life. How did you get to where you are today? Well, uh, as I mentioned before, those, uh, those major role models that I've had in my life, one of whom being my father growing up, uh, played baseball year round. Um, you know, it was summer ball, fall ball, spring, winter was training camp. I was in the gym. So I was always staying busy with that. Met, met a lot of incredible friends that I still talk to to this day from that experience. And um, I think, oddly enough, the uh, the simple words that my father used to tell me is was always, even if you're getting walked, run to first. So for me, it was all about effort. Um, I was never the biggest guy. Still, to this day, I'm not, I'm not the biggest guy. So making... Uh, that extra effort was always a big uh, point of emphasis he had for me. And that has really shaped me uh, going forward into the police academy onto uh, my first job, which was a suburb outside of Cincinnati, uh, Ohio. Um, And then to where I'm working now, just outside of Dayton area in Ohio, I'm really just trying to push, um, push myself to those levels that he kind of held me to very high standards growing up, but it really has shaped me. And that's like you said before, like, you know, what don't you do? I try to stay as busy as I possibly can, um, working full time SWAT part time, and then, uh, trying to run this business. It's just, uh, I don't, I don't know any other way at this point, you know, I'm, I'm broken at this point. That's just who I am. Uh, and it all started with my dad, uh, really pushing me in that direction. <laughs> 
one of the the uh, things that or character traits I should say that that a lot of SWAT officers have is that uh, that whole look for work or always be looking for work adage. I'm pretty sure you guys get that hammered into you in the schoolhouse uh, and, and on your teams, and uh, it it's very apparent that you are uh, definitely uh, looking for work. You found the work and you, you make sure that you stay busy. Yeah, absolutely. You're always looking for work. Uh, you know, there's so many roles to play, uh, for SWAT. I mean, just based on the call, you may be doing running the pole cam. You might be, you know, on entry, you might be on perimeter, you know, and you never know, at least for our team, you know, we, we don't have designated roles. So, you're doing a little bit of everything. So you're always looking for whatever, you know, whatever role isn't being filled at that point. That's what you're looking, looking to do. So no, that's very accurate. What was it that, uh, that, that made you decide to go into law enforcement? Was it, was it sort of a slow burn? Like you, you just always sort of had the idea or was there this like catalyst event that it, the firework went off and you were like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. It was definitely a slow burn uh, for me. It was always something in the back of my head. Um, I don't have any family members in law enforcement, so uh, I wasn't necessarily influenced by anybody. It was just kind of an idea I had, uh, even as a kid, teenager. And then it was almost just like every step of the way, I became more and more invested. So um, as I'm looking to join a police academy, and then I'm in the academy, and I'm applying places, meeting, meeting officers and getting into the job and every step of the way, it's just more and more, um, obsessed with the job, I guess. Um, I just love what I do. Um, and again, it's just, it's just every step of the way I just became more and more invested in it. Uh, and that stays true to this day, you know, working the road, looking to do other things, staying busy, right. Um, SWAT, uh, being an instructor, things like that. I want to improve myself as an officer. And those are some ways I can do that. Even if it's just going to training, um, you know, I'm always in and out of training as a student and, uh, I'm just always looking to improve. So, uh, yeah, it really was just a slow burn for me over the years. Just got more and more invested. And, and you touched on something there that, uh, uh, I'd, I'd like you to speak more on if I'm, uh, you, you'd said that you were applying for academies and then applying for departments. So did you put yourself through a police academy? Yeah, I did. Um, we had an open enrollment at one of our local um, colleges. Uh, you can uh, be sponsored through, through departments there, but you also can put yourself through it. So I put myself through the academy. And, and talk more about that process of putting yourself through an academy. I, I mean, out here, uh, that is not, uh, we have the community college academies uh, or, or the college academies, I should say, but we've also got the dedicated uh, police academy areas where uh, I don't know that any of them in Arizona you are, are live in, um, but you essentially, you get hired by an agency and they then sponsor you through the academy. But tell me more about uh, that, that jump that you had to make, I mean, you're, you're footing the bill and you're putting yourself, uh, out there into the Academy and then trying to, to find an agency to, to pick you up. Yeah. So I think for us, the, the major metropolitans, uh, have their own academies. So these are the, the Dayton, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus area places. Um, for a lot of agencies, uh, in Ohio, they like to send people to our Ohio State Patrol because it's free. And uh, but we do have community colleges, uh, especially this area where I'm at. We probably have three um, that are within good driving distance that you can make happen. So for me, um, downtown Dayton has a, has a school, Sinclair Community College. I put myself through that academy. Um, you apply to it. You interview. There's a board interview. And uh, this is made up of some of the academy commanders, as well as um, gentlemen and gentlemen and uh, and ladies in law enforcement that they trust to put on these boards. And then you're interviewed. And if you are uh, accepted, then you pay your way. Um, it's about a six month academy. Um, and yeah, that was my process. And so, whereas I was getting paid to be pepper sprayed, you had to pay to get pepper sprayed. 
that's an excellent point. Yes, I paid to get pepper sprayed, <laughs> among other horrible things. I don't know that anybody could ever doubt your dedication, because uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going through another police academy. Uh, you cannot pay me to do that shit ever again. Uh, and I, I worked on a team. Well, most of the patrol teams that I was on, very few of us carried OC spray because we were like, nope, don't want to deal with it. Uh, I'm more likely to get sprayed than the bad guy. And I know that uh, I'm kind of a bitch when you spray me with OC spray. So, uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't play with that stuff, man. So kudos to you, though, Josh, for for really. I mean, you, you had to I don't know that I can word it any other way than than taking that huge leap and and footing the bill and putting your own you're putting yourself your own way through the academy man good 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 for you man good on you um what uh what what was it like i mean how how were the emotions uh what went through your mind when uh when you finally did get uh get picked up by an agency and how long after the academy was it yeah so i Graduated the academy, and we have a large hospital in the Dayton area that actually has, they're not considered security, they actually commissioned police officers. So I, I immediately wanted to take the first job I could get because I don't want to lose that commission. We have two years to get on before that expires. So I, I just, my first thought was don't let that happen. So I took a job at a local hospital. I was there about five months or so. And at the same time, I had applied to a department. It's called Norwood. And it is actually smack dab in the middle of Cincinnati, kind of northern Cincinnati. It's a really weird city um, because most most cities in our area, at least, are are at least surrounded by other um, jurisdictions, whereas this one's just smack dab in the the, uh, middle of Cincinnati. So I took that job at Norwood. This was after about five months of being on at the hospital, which the hospital was great, but um, that relief that I felt of getting on with Norwood full-time job with great benefits, great pay and very busy. Um, that is exactly what I wanted. So it was, um, yeah, when I got that phone call from the chief wanting to do a chief's interview for us that, you know, and like most law enforcement, that is a, Hey, you got the job. So when I received that phone call, it was, um, yeah, it was a little overwhelming, but that was an incredible experience. Yeah, I can uh, I can think back finally on uh, on my chief's interview, and that is sort of the uh, like, oh my god, I made it uh, moment. You know, uh, a little little bit different for for us. Uh, that was the oh my god, I made it into the academy moment, and then you got to get you know the rest of the way through the through the twenty one week academy, which out here I think we're now up to like twenty five weeks or something long. It, I, dude, I don't know what what your thoughts are. I mean, you you're a DT instructor, you own a training company. I don't know that it's that far off that we're going to find police academies that are a year long. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, it seems like every time I hear about our new guys going through the academy, it seems like it's just ever so much longer than when I went through. Right, right. It's like every class that goes through gets a week added. Uh, It seems to be, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm, and I know it's not necessarily true, but that's what it feels like. I mean, I've been out, uh, uh, been a sworn officer now for, for five and a half years. And, and in that short time frame, I swear it's increased, uh, you know, five to 10 weeks, uh, or statewide, but, uh, I don't know, man, with, with the academies though, I mean, with, with you as a DT instructor, do you teach at the academies or are you a D, uh, DT instructor within your agency only? Uh, I teach in service to my department. I've been asked to teach at, uh, other academies, which would be the ones that we support for the most part, the, the community colleges in our area, um, they have been declined by my department just because they don't see enough of a benefit for us doing it. And I was a little relieved when that happened. I feel like even at, even at my department, I have a lot on my plate. So that would just be one more thing. It's a bit of a travel for me as well. So I teach in service to my, to my team and I'm in a very fortunate position where I have very little oversight and I've had very little oversight ever since I got this instructor position. So I've really been able to make it my own. And that's a big reason why I wanted to start a company because of the creative, um, I guess, leeway that I had, I was able to do the things that I thought were important. And I got a lot of really good feedback from that, from my guys 
guys pulling me aside and being like, oh my gosh, I did the thing you did, told me to do. And they want to tell me all about it. That is like, for me, the coolest feeling. So um, in service for us, we teach, uh, we do, we do every single month we do DT or at least we offer it. And these are in two hour, uh, two hour installments with three months out of the year are kind of mandatory training, which are four hour blocks. All right. All right. And, and in teaching, um, I don't want you to, to throw anybody under the bus since you, since you do mostly in service training, but I am curious with, the newer officers, uh, as a, even just in their general realm of, of being a DT instructor, does it seem as though newer officers are, are more hesitant to go hands-on and get involved in, in a defensive tactics or use of force situation, or is that not so much something that you see? I think that's always going to be the case when you're getting into law enforcement. I mean, even for me, I can remember a time where I was like hesitant you know, I've never been hesitant a day in my life to go hands on, but, you know, trying not trying to do the right thing with your peers there. I mean, you can kind of like, you know, what should I do um, and hesitate for a moment. But once you figure it out, you're good. As far as our department now, if you're in a bigger department, there's going to be more of that. I mean, you're going to have more of a pool to pull from. For us, we're, you know, 40 sworn officers. Um, it's not it's not the biggest department. And in, our, in my experience, guys are coming in, at least the ones we've hired, and been pretty good. I haven't had to worry about it too much. Now, we do an administrative week where DT is a part of it, firearms and report writing and some other things that we go over. So it's already pushed into them that we're going hands-on. We're very much, um, you know, my program, I'm not teaching uh, tool dependency is what I would refer to it as. Um, we're very much hands-on um, in our teachings, and we try to get people comfortable with that, using protective equipment, mats, and all that good stuff. So I haven't noticed it with my guys, but I also have a lot more influence on them from day one. But I know that certainly can be a thing at many other departments. Well, and there's something to be said for that influence that you have, right? Especially you have 40 sworn officers. You are the the instructor for them. And so you, you will have that greater influence as opposed to you look at like, again, you, and you talked about larger agencies, you look at NYPD, Chicago, uh, LAPD, um, where you've got a cadre of, of DT instructors with somebody, you know, ultimately at the top, but they've also got this such a wide range of, of personality types that they have to cater to in a given, you know, a given DT uh, instruction session. They may see 40 people a day. Right. So I, I would, uh, uh, it makes sense that, that with that greater, I shouldn't say greater with the smaller span of control that you have over, over your department's DT and, uh, defensive tactics instruction that, that makes sense. So, but it's good to hear that, that you're not teaching that tool dependency, man. I mean, I know people who will revert to their taser, revert to their little Harry Potter asp wand baton that we all know is fucking useless. Um, and then there's there's a whole nother subset of people, and I think it largely depends on the school of thought that you're trained in. Uh, so, but I'm I'm glad to hear that. Hey, we're going to go hands on. the The fact of the matter is, and up on up in Ohio, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that it gets pretty cold up there. Like your uh, your your taser's not going to punch through thick jackets and sweatshirts, right? It's it's, it's known, it's documented, it's not going to happen. Those same clothing articles are going to ultimately like start lessening the blows of of your batons, and so you eventually are ultimately left with no other choice than to. Uh, I had a, uh, worked for a guy who used to call it the habeas gravis, right? You're gonna uh, take what God gave you, these ten little fingers right here, and you're gonna go to work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, and, and I had a meeting with one of my supervisors when we were first kicking this thing off and kind of revamping the program. I said, I don't, I don't want. I said it a lot nicer than this, of course, but I said, I don't want to see handcuffs in the training environment. This is, you know, especially as we're revamping it. So it's a, it's a three year, five year, 10 year plan and handcuffs. People know how to handcuff at this point at our department. I don't want to see handcuffing. That's something that in the academies, that's like 50% of DT. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, we're learning life-saving skills. You know, we're trying to prevent injury to both the suspect and our officers. There's 
so many other things that you need to be spending time on. You know, what, spending time on one thing is spending time not on maybe something that's more important. So um, that was a that was a talking point that I had with him, and he you know couldn't agree. He he agreed with me. So um, it's been it's been a good experience teaching that. But tool dependency is a major issue in law enforcement, especially when you look at like you said with the tasers, like in cold weather, there's so many factors for a taser not working. And one of the biggest ones is movement. So when you have a suspect moving and you're not actually getting that good connection, then it's irrelevant. You're going to have to go hands-on anyway. Right. Right. You're not going to, when they're, when they're in mo- when they're in motion, you may not be getting that, that probe spread that you're looking for. Uh, uh, you know, you could end up missing altogether. You could hit uh, somebody or something in a place where you didn't intend to put a, a taser, uh, a taser dart. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is refreshing to hear the, uh, the lack of tool dependency for sure, man. Um, what, uh, what was it that, that drew you into the, the realm of, of SWAT? And actually, before we get going, uh, just for, for you and for the listener, my, my uh, zoom has, so Josh and I tried to do this over Google meet, uh, at the very beginning and Google meet, gave me all sorts of shit and just wasn't working. So I've had to revert back to zoom and zoom has told me that I have 10 minutes of free time left. I'm not really sure what the hell that means, but Josh, you and I are just going to keep on talking, but that if there's a a brief cut in, uh, in the recording, at least we, we know why, but, uh, so to get back to my question, what was it that drew you, uh, towards, uh, your, your department's part-time SWAT team? Man, that's a good question. A lot of things. Um, a lot of it goes back to, uh, you know, your first question of who I would have a drink with, Jeff Pedro. He was a founding member of the SWAT team I now serve on. Um, firearms guy, so I got into I got into firearms at that time. Just the idea of training. I'm not a collector by any means. I want to learn how to shoot in the most proficient way possible. And he really sparked that interest in me. Um, I love to stay physical. I love to work out. Um, you know, for a lot of... For a lot of people in law enforcement, they go to SWAT training and they're going to absolutely hate it. And then there's the other the other group that you know thrive in that environment. It's just what they like to do. They like to be outside. They like to sweat. They like to shoot. Um, even just something as meticulous as clearing buildings, um, you know, that can get pretty daunting. But it's something you have to improve on um, day in and day out. So that all those things and more really interested me in SWAT. I was the type. Uh, like going back to my childhood with baseball, I would pull my little brother and be like, Hey, let's go outside, throw me grounders. And I would do that at least in my memory, what feels like every single day of our lives, he would throw me grounders and I would practice that, um, practicing, uh, BP, everything. I, I mean, I would just obsess over those skills and that's a big part of what SWAT is. It's those, those skills, those basic skills that you have to master. So even something like uh, building clearing, you know, going through the same building over and over with your guys, you do one little thing wrong, we're back doing it again. I don't know. I just, I really like that stuff. It's not for everybody, but that's kind of what drew me to it. Yeah. It's that uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You know, that, that, uh, that saying goes, goes a long way towards describing the really proficient uh, SWAT operators, uh, 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 well, it's proficient officers, right? I mean, I think one thing yeah. that that uh, that makes somebody good at their job, we can we can leave the realm of law enforcement, the narrow realm of law enforcement, and just talk about any job that you hold. It doesn't matter if you can do everybody's job one hundred percent every time, um, as long as you continue to to show up to work. Uh, ready, willing, and eager to work. And also one thing I point out is, is the constant student. Um, if you can teach the class, you should still take the class. So that's, that's kind of my, uh, my viewpoint now to, uh, uh, um, talked about this, uh, uh, last, uh, well, two weeks ago now, I think with, uh, with Troy Vano, who's out there in Virginia, we, we did spend some time talking about, uh, about Uvalde and, and at the risk of, of, you know, hitting that hammer too many times. What are your general thoughts on what you've seen with the, I mean, we've had, it seems like every day more and more comes out about what happened in Texas. Um, So what are, what are your general thoughts on, on Uvalde? Yeah. When that first came out, um, 
you know, I, I asked my sergeant if I could put on like a little PowerPoint briefing training on it. Um, and, and really just talking about it. Cause I, it's something that, you know, you don't have, you know, mass shootings like that every day. So it was kind of like, get the troops together. Hey guys, these are some things to keep in mind. Um, whether it was, uh, trauma med or, um, you know, how these things are going down. I pulled up the Uvalde timeline and I was kind of breaking it down for them on what was being reported at the time. Now, this is probably a few days after it had happened. And my opinions were, I don't understand why they didn't go in. Um, I, I was trying to keep emotions out of it and I was trying to wait for more news to break because it just did not make sense to me whatsoever. And then obviously as time goes on, we're learning much more about it. And then most recently the videos that have come out about, uh, from the hallway perspective of the officers and, uh, and watching that video, it is the most gruesome, horrifying video you'll ever watch and not see an ounce of blood in it because you understand what's going on behind those closed doors. You hear the, the gunshots, you hear the screams and nothing's being done about it. Um, I love my brothers and sisters in blue across the board. Um, but when we screw up, you gotta, you gotta condemn it. And in this case, uh, we have to condemn the inactions by these officers. We, uh, I would agree with you. I think that, uh, we know as a, uh, as a profession that we are held to a, a higher level of accountability than really anyone else. I mean, even, you know, my boss the other day, we just, I can't remember what the case was because they all sort of start to blend together. I work in a sex crimes unit and just the conversation that we were having about this heinous act that we were investigating. He's like, where, where the hell else do you go where these conversations take place? And, and it's where the hell else do you go where, um, you know, you work in an industry that's constantly under the microscope. And I think that it's only right that we're the ones sometimes holding that microscope and, and looking around, right. And, and looking at, at, uh, some of the, as you said, the inactions, uh, the inaction or, 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 you know, improper or downright illegal actions that, that do take place. Uh, it's inevitable in any career field, somebody's going to fuck up and, and it's going to be big, but for Uvalde's chief to attempt to, I don't know if I uh, omit certain facts or, or, you know, maybe give a play by play that, that, Hey, that that's not how it went down, man. Like that, that's not okay. Uh, every cop should be vocal about what they saw and, and what their feelings are. Um, but I am torn because on the other side, you know, everybody wanted to, to shit on. There's like, there's like three people in these videos. Uh, and if those of you listening, if you haven't seen it and you feel so inclined to watch it, um, the, describing it as the most gruesome video uh, that you'd see without any, uh, without an ounce of blood is probably the most accurate description that I've ever heard um, of that video. Uh, and probably <laughs> I will steal it from you, Josh, and go on to describe it uh, that way from now on. But there's three people in the video that you see. Uh, two officers are on their cell phones and then another officer, uh, just walks up to a, and this is in the middle of the barricade slash active shooter slash. We're not really sure what's going on because we didn't try the door handle situation. An officer walks right up to a hand sanitizer, little pump station and proceeds to get hand sanitizer. Uh, he was in that moment for whatever reason, more focused on getting hand sanitizer on his hands than he was on, uh, stopping the threat. And by stopping the threat, by whatever means necessary, um, shooting and killing that that threat before that person can shoot and kill any more kids seemed to be the logical option to me. Um, two other officers, one of them seen sort of leaning against the wall and looking at his phone. And then there's an officer that everybody is shit on who's in like a dark or navy blue uniform. And everybody was like, look at this guy. He's got the Punisher logo on his phone. That guy was, uh, as I understand it, checking to see if his wife, who was one of the teachers that was killed, had texted him back yet. I don't, I'm not going to shit on that guy. Uh, he's dealing with enough as it is with the, uh, his wife being dead first and foremost, and the entire nation putting his ass under a microscope and, and shit talking him. I don't know what I would do if I was placed into a situation, uh, where 
my my wife was about to have harm come to her. You and I, Josh, we can sit here uh, or we can we can talk with our buddies and roundtable it. Uh, and you know, if this, then that. But the fact of the matter is, um, uh, but to so briefly lost Zoom there. So, uh, but what I was saying is, I can't bring myself to to shit talk the officer who's checking his phone to see if his wife got back to him yet because I I don't know that I would or would not do the the same thing, man. The the only situation uh, that I've ever been in that even comes remotely close was my own agency's sort of active shooter situation where the dude was just targeting cops. Um, that was his whole goal was to kill police officers. He did not succeed. Uh, not once in something like 300 rounds was he able to find a target, which is good. But I remember jumping out of my Tahoe and I was, I don't know, fifth or sixth on scene. And I was, I was a ways away cause I was basically being a, like a Eastern perimeter unit kind of thing. Uh, and I jumped out of the Tahoe, started walking down the street with my rifle, uh, uh, barrage of gunfire went off. I ducked down. And the first thing I did was I like patted down my vest pockets and was like, fuck, where's my phone? And I don't know if it's just a societal thing. Like that's where we are nowadays as, as human beings is that's just something that we constantly need to have. But there was that brief moment for me where I was like, shit, I need to call somebody. No, you don't need to fucking call somebody. Get like, go, go get in, into whatever you got to get into. Go do your job. Um, but it, it is extremely disheartening to, uh, to see that, uh, certainly as, as law enforcement officers, I, Josh and I both probably sat there and, and felt a lot of the same things and, and had similar thoughts of just what the hell happened. And who knows if we're going to get a straight answer, man. I mean, that that timeline that came out, I mean, it was working my way through the 11 hours Texas Senate hearing. And you just can't help but get mad. Like, I don't know about you. I, I, I say you can't help it. I don't know about you, but I was fucking angry. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to to watch that. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole circumstance, going back to what you were talking about, um, I don't, I don't like to, I don't, I'm probably one of the last guys to Monday morning quarterback people. I, I don't like to, like you said, cops are under the microscope and sometimes we're our worst enemies. Um, and as far as, as far as what you do under stress, like you patting yourself down, checking for your phone and everything, we do a lot of weird things when we're under stress. Stuff that doesn't make sense. It's just, that's just human response. But um, yeah, it, it is hard not to be angry you know, I wanted to wait for all the facts to come out. And, you know, now that you're kind of seeing that stuff unfold, it's just, it's just hard to, uh, it's hard not to be angry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only thing that, that we can do about it, you know, completely removed, you're in Ohio, I'm in Arizona, um, completely removed from the situation is, I think, A, talking about it and, and bringing it up in briefing training in and amongst our teammates as far as, hey, what are our expectations? Even even me, like within a, within a detective bureau, hey, guys, where our office is, like the high school is a quarter mile that way. The library is directly across the street. Like we, we need to be thinking about these things because we might be the, the closest people to that happening. And, and, you know, we, we sit in our comfy chairs in our air conditioned building with our computers and, and we type reports. That's what detectives do. But it, it is entirely possible that uh, your your time to be called upon is going to be when it's an inopportune moment uh, for you. And, and the only way to, to really do that is to train, train within our departments or, or seek out training elsewhere. And um you've taken that upon yourself to provide that training with force options. So uh, I want to, now that we've, we've really taken a, uh, a, a nosedive into the negativity and, and kind of the, the really sad affairs of, of that, uh, that school shooting, let's, let's come back out of it and, and talk more about, uh, about what force options is and what you are going to be doing to better prepare society. So as much as I like the name Force Options, uh, <laughs> I hate to correct you. Uh, it's Force Frontier. Oh, so I'm so sorry. Force uh, Frontier. You're good, brother. Um, so, yeah, I, it's just something that I'm so passionate about. The uh, the countless positive interactions I've had with, with my students uh, over the years has led me to kind of pursuing this, um, this company. Uh, it's taking off faster than I maybe am even prepared for, and that's a good thing. I had spoken uh, to a couple of the guys that are helping me out with this project and they said, yeah, let's, let's, let's go for it. It's a, 
five, 10 year plan. You know, these things take time. I want to develop the curriculum. Um, it'll be, the curriculum will be different today than it will be uh, five, 10 years from now. So let's get this off the ground. We know a lot of, we're privy to a lot of really great training in what we're doing now. I'd love to bring that to civilians, you know, make more people, more good people dangerous is, uh, is a, is a great thing for our society. Um, we we're looking to work with, um, you know, every, everybody from police officers, military members, church groups, nurses, uh, we're in contact with a lot of different, um, a lot of different entities right now that we're really excited about the prospect of working with. And we're providing training in firearms, combatives, force on force, which is our force on force is our real passion. Um, and everything in between, we try to cater our training to the individual. So if it's a, a group of nurses or if it's a church group wanting to provide better security for, for their, uh, for their members, then that's what we're looking to do. So we try to cater it to the best of our abilities. We do that by, um, either over the phone or in person, uh, really hashing that out usually takes about an hour, but we try to cater it to the individual. And, uh, is it just you or how, how many folks you got helping you out? Uh, I have, uh, sorry, three other members that help me out with it, uh, help with the instruction portion of it. Uh, we're still getting it off the ground, um, but the the social media stuff has been out of control. We've been very fortunate to have um, a lot of positive feedback on it, and we're in the process of a few different things, acquiring the necessary protective equipment, so we have a good portion of it. We have travel mats, um, MMA gloves, uh, we're working on getting the uh, red beard combatives helmets. They're a little expensive, so we're working on getting those. We want to provide the entire experience, and we don't want to have a reason not to come and teach. So if you have an empty room, we can bring the mats. Um, we don't we don't want to say like, oh, because you don't have the necessary uh, equipment for us to come and teach, then we're you know limiting ourselves. Uh, we're also uh, building a range out at some property that we have. So that's a process as well. So we're doing about 20, 30 things at once right now, getting it off the ground running and uh, really excited about it. Well, it's, you know, even uh, it's like you, like you said earlier, your dad's lying about even if you're uh, getting walked, run to first. I mean, you are uh, full speed ahead, man. And with, with Force Frontier, um, I mean, it, it sounds like a pretty amazing concept because like you said, you, if you just have an empty room, you can push desks out of the way and throw some mats down. You're not requiring people to come to a gym or, oh, I'm sorry, you don't have a mat room. We can't come to you. So I, I uh, think it's amazing that, that you guys are, are willing to cater to, uh, to folks uh, and, and to their needs. I mean, and you, and you look at what proper training and proper equipment leads to this, this, uh, uh, shooting, was it yesterday, two days ago that was thwarted by the, the 22 year old carrying concealed, uh, basically looked at his girlfriend, told her to run. And then he handled business. Uh, and there are people out there who, who want to, Oh, that guy was carrying a gun somewhere. He shouldn't. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's also the reason that more people aren't dead. So, uh, even the police chief of, of, yeah. of that town came out and said that, no, it's because we had an armed prepared citizen. Um, and, uh, and that's, amazing what you get when, as you said, when you make good people dangerous, um, you've probably had similar conversations that I've had where you get people who are like, ah, you know, I'm, I can't believe we even have to have this discussion. Uh, I shouldn't have to put body armor in my kid's backpack. I shouldn't have to learn how to use a firearm, so on and so forth. No, you shouldn't. Life should be all daisies and rainbows. But the unfortunate reality is that society's gotten so far removed from that and i can't say where it happened or when it happened um but the the option to just live your life uh with your head in the sand doesn't really exist anymore yeah i agree i mean it's never a comfortable conversation i have two kids of my own and uh you know that'll be a conversation i have to have with them eventually um especially as they're getting ready to go to school and everything but Nobody wants to have that conversation, um, but I don't know any other way to say it other than it is what it is. We might as well prepare for it to the best of our abilities. If we're considering, especially in law enforcement, um, you know, we already have a duty, but we already, a lot of us have that mindset. Um, we want to be prepared. We want to be prepared for every possibility. We're never going to be, but 
students for life. We try to make ourselves as, as dangerous as possible so that we can protect um, from the evil out there. And as corny as that may sound, that is kind of the mission. Um, but yeah, it is uncomfortable to have those conversations. And a lot of people, you know, they go to a desk job nine to five and of course nothing wrong with that, but maybe don't have that same exposure that we have. We see a lot of things that a lot of people don't see. So we're more prone to uh, gravitate to towards, you know, putting body armor in our kid's backpack and things like that. I mean, it's, this situation is never going to, I shouldn't say never going to get better, but it's obviously not getting better. You know, right. we're having more and more of these mass shootings every single year. You just have to look at statistics and uh, prepare accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's all you can do, right. Is, is prepare as much as possible. Now with force frontier, will you have, um, uh, law enforcement based training, like more advanced training, you know, your, your CQC, CQB type training, um, or are you going to focus really on, on the, uh, the, the folks outside of policing? Uh, I would say a little bit of everything. So we want to, so as we get, um, we're working with a few different groups right now, uh, getting them set up again with the, trying to going back to what I was talking about catering to you. We're, we're really trying to get those contracts ironed out so that we can uh, offer out our services to those groups. And then as our um, here in the near future, we're going to be launching our entire course catalog. So that will be um, combatives one, combatives two, pistol one, pistol two, rifle one, rifle two, our force on force scenarios, and then our force on force two day course, where it's um, kind of a culmination of everything. That'll be our staple class. Now, with all that being said, who's able to take this class? Pistol one, rifle one, combatives one, that is for anybody law enforcement included, but that is from anybody, um, with, with any skill set. we'll have a crawl, walk, run approach to it and we'll get everybody caught up to speed. Now the, the second day courses are going to be a little bit more advanced and then we're going to have to, as a company, determine what is working, what do people want? And again, cater to that. Um, we're still learning that process as we go, but we definitely want to offer this out to the masses and we want to get people uh, caught up from the beginning as well as offering out those advanced classes. And, uh, and will I get to see you out here in sunny Arizona or, uh, should I book a Southwest flight and get up to, uh, Ohio? That's an excellent question. So, uh, for the time being, we're offering out our services to Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky, cause that's where we're able to travel reasonably. Um, if somebody reached out to us from Illinois or maybe even a, a, a state close by, um, I'm not going to say we're, we're going to say no, but for the time being, we're offering out services to those three states just because we're going to be traveling. It also depends on what we're offering. So um, if if Arizona is willing to host and we don't need to br- bring the mats and we don't need to bring as many as much equipment and we're able to fly, that's that's no problem. It would just really depend on um, on what we need to bring because if we're bringing a lot of stuff, then we're driving with our trailer. And it's a whole process, so we can't necessarily uh, afford to drive cross country for the time being, especially with all my other obligations in life. But uh, that is our hope eventually is to expand. Well, and, and with six dollars a gallon in fuel, I can't imagine that pulling a trailer <laughs> is uh, super uh, affordable right now. So, no, that wouldn't uh, we, we would be under in a matter of weeks. You'd really have to take up that bikini modeling in order to, uh, to foot the bill there. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. Hey, that's, that's what I try to do. I try to not fuck up people's company names and, uh, and bring conversations full circle. And right now <laughs> I, I am one for two. So, um, but now have you guys looked into, um, uh, being able to, to have your courses, uh, post certified so you can get officers, the, those kind of continuing education post credits, or is that something that, you know, you, you talked about five-year plan, 10-year plan is that maybe further down the line? Yeah, that would definitely be further down the line. Now I know, um, you know, I actually had this question posed to me, um, you know, what, what and this is somebody outside the, uh, outside the job. Why would somebody take a course if they're not getting a certification? Well, in my experience and probably in your experience as well, most of the time the courses worth seeking out aren't the ones that are certified by the state or certified by, you know, by the feds or anything like that. Typically it's, and I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Craig Douglas of Shiv works. Um, I've had the opportunity, excuse me, the opportunity to take his class, Aaron Gennetti with knife control concepts. These guys teach incredible combatives courses. 
You don't get a certificate at the end of the day. All you get is a bunch of sweat, maybe some blood, and you just get to meet a bunch of cool people and you get to walk away knowing that you learned a multitude of new skills. So that is our focus from the beginning, building skills. And then if we can get some, you know, actual search down the line, that will be a goal of ours, but it's not our primary focus right now. We just want to offer good training regardless of what piece of paper you get at the end of the day. Yeah, it makes sense to me, man. I, I would, uh, I'd be inclined to agree with you that, that, that sometimes that top level training, um, is not something you're going to get a, a post cert for. For those of you uh, outside of law enforcement, peace officer standards and training post is basically the governing body each state has over uh, that state's law enforcement agencies. And you are required to have so many, differs by state, you're required to have so many hours of post credits per year of, of training. And agencies will, uh, you'll get uh, like like Josh doing in-service defensive tactics that counts towards, towards post credits. Um, uh, my agency, uh, will will sometimes host outside training opportunities or or will will send you to to opportunities and uh as a, a point on that those of you that are listening if you are in law enforcement uh and you have a uh HIDA or high intensity drug trafficking area uh office in your uh maybe not in your jurisdiction but at least in your state HIDA typically offers free training uh so just I'm always big on on education and and uh and kicking out uh, information when I can and Josh, you're big on education too, man. That's why you went and started your own company. I mean, my uh, my mom's famous saying was uh, was knowledge is weightless, and you can take it with you anywhere. And and what you're what you're putting out there is just that that little bit extra exposure for people to to come out, get some training, get an education, and then, God forbid, they one day have to fall back on their lowest level of training, uh, which is, I mean your lowest level of training is going to be your SWAT tactics and techniques. My lowest level of training is going to be what I learned on patrol and the few extra classes I've taken. Uh, but you know, if you got, if you're a real estate agent, you're, you're showing houses to random people all day long, you may find yourself in a situation that is, that becomes violent very quickly. And, and, uh, taking a class with force frontier may, may serve you well in the long run. Um, I do have to ask this question only because I, I do ask DT instructors, uh, are you, 100% camp jujitsu or do you go into other, uh, into other martial arts? That is a really good question because I think that is a thing now. A hundred percent camp jujitsu, right? Um, you can't escape I, I it. It is everywhere on social media. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, jujitsu and uh, getting cops into jujitsu is like, is like the big thing right now. Uh, I train Brazilian jujitsu. Um, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, I would, that's a really hard question for me to answer because our, what we teach and, you know, the way I've learned it is very much jujitsu based, but it's also very Greco Roman wrestling based, meaning upper body wrestling. So I it can't, I can't attribute it all to jujitsu. However, um, I'm not going to recommend Krav Maga or Muay Thai or kickboxing or any other martial art because I just don't train it. I love to hit the heavy bag. I love to do my own little, you know, uh, impression of Conor McGregor on the heavy bag, but that is not my forte. Grappling arts is, is what I practice. And in my experiences and in my students' experiences, it's, it's boded very well for us. However, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. Uh, if you find something that works for you, I'm never going to deny it. I, uh, I was a Krav Maga student. Uh, I won't take offense to, to <laughs> you being a jujitsu student yourself. Uh, there's, there's different schools when it comes to, uh, physical defense and fighting tactics. Um, I had a, a guy tell me, uh, a, a cop who's now retired, Hey, you need to stop taking Krav Maga because it doesn't look good on video. Um, which my response to that was when something's happening to me, I'm not really going to be concerned about what it looks like on video. I'm going to be more concerned about surviving the encounter. Um, but, uh, my brother-in-law is big on, on jujitsu, uh, Kempo and a few other, uh, martial arts. He's a DT instructor for his agency in California. The important thing, uh, is to find a, a reputable organization. Uh, you find a company like force frontier, you find, uh, an instructor who knows what the hell they're talking about and you don't, 
start paying a, a just a shitload of money uh, for companies. I don't even remember the name of the business. I think they were in California. But Josh, did you ever see the videos when they were going and doing their room clearing and they were like ducking their head in 55 times before they would enter and clear a room? I cannot recall that. I, I'll find it and I'll send it to you on Instagram. Uh, a, you look ridiculous. B, uh, you keep popping your head in the same location. You're going to get your melon uh, split open. So uh, uh, don't go for the gimmicks. Find a reputable organization uh, to, to train with. Um, well, Josh, we've covered, man, uh, a whole lot of, of different stuff today. We've had a fun technical malfunction. I fucked up your company name. I do really apologize for that. I feel like a right asshole for doing that on you, man. <laughs> um, no offense whatsoever. And, uh, and, uh, you were kind enough to, to carve out, uh, uh, an hour or so of your, of your day. Uh, as you said, I mean, with a, your cop work, uh, even before that, I would say you're a parent, uh, uh, to two kids, you've got your business, you've got your SWAT work. You're already a DT instructor on top of all that, man. Uh, you do need to sleep at some point in time, uh, because I would like to meet up with you after, after we retire. And it needs to be more than just like within the, the five years that we have immediately after retirement. So, um, uh, thank you so very much for, for coming on the show today, man. But before we depart, I, I give everybody this opportunity. You truly do have a microphone to the world listeners all over, uh, all over the United States, Canada, Central and South America, Europe, uh, parts of Asia, even Russia. Um, and I've said some not nice things about their invasion of Ukraine, but you know what? Good Russians have also said not nice things about the invasion of Ukraine. So I think it's it's probably those like eight people that agree with me. But you got a microphone to the world, man. What does the world need to hear from Josh? Uh, man, without sounding too corny, uh, I would just say I don't use the Internet a whole lot, but I have been lately with this whole Force Frontier project I've been putting on. And uh, <laughs> there is a lot of negativity out there, I'm learning. And uh, regardless of how... Um, regardless of how someone is pursuing, let's just say life in general, just make sure just staying positive. We're, you know, we're not just being negative just for the sake of being negative. I mean, I, I try to avoid it 100% in my classrooms. I want to make sure that we're building confidence. That's our whole mantra is cultivating confidence, training for reality. We want to make sure that we're building these skills and building them in a way that guys are gaining that confidence and then able to actually do it in the real world. So um, I, I would just say positivity, man. I just, I hate to see all this negativity and I hate even saying, you know, partially negative things about the Uvalde police, but um, that, yeah, I just, uh, you know, if you're in a classroom, you're in a training environment, even cops in general, just make sure you're, you know, you're treating each other, you know, well, because we, we tend to, not do that to our own a lot of times yeah yeah i mean and you said it earlier we we eat each other alive man that's yeah i think to to a to a man to a to a woman within within this realm of policing uh everybody's got an opinion on everybody else uh and and so it's incumbent upon us to uh not just not just uh talk about it but to be about it as it were and and uh, lift each other up, man. It's it's difficult times out there. It's it's not quite the middle of uh, the 2020 summer of love, but uh, there there is a uh, a dark rain cloud out there, and and uh, it's uh, it's up to us to to make everybody's day around us a little bit brighter. You know, walk into the office with a with a smile, uh, show up the briefing, uh, you know, with a good attitude, and. Uh, that might be all it takes to, to change someone's day at least. Uh, and if you are in, uh, uh, and remind me again, just so I don't get it wrong, Ohio, Indiana, or Kentucky, right? Yes, sir. Okay. If you're in Ohio, Indiana, or Kentucky, you can get force frontier to come out and, uh, and, uh, learn you some knowledge and drop those bombs on you. Um, and, uh, and, uh, make you just a little bit more dangerous so that you can confidently navigate this strange, strange world we live in. Uh, and with that, my dogs are barking for some god awful reason, and uh, I don't really know why it is, but that's okay. That's what I have big dogs for. Um, uh, with that, man, thank you so very much again for joining me. I, I really do appreciate the hell out of you taking taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to talk with me. Um, and uh, and I hope to uh, to link up with you soon. Should you ever find yourself out in Arizona, uh, I think your first two beers are on me. Deal. Yeah, it was a it was a great it was a great time, man. I've never done a podcast before, so. Uh... I appreciate you taking it easy on me. 
Yeah, heck yeah, man. I, uh, I'll throw you the curveballs on the next round. Just uh, let me get a couple drinks and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and we'll we'll see what the uh, we'll see what the night brings, man. No, no uh, bikini fitness model competitions for, for us. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Modern Cop podcast. Stay safe and I'll see you on the road.